0: Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Hunt the High Country podcast brought to you by AltitudeOutdoors.com. My name is Brad Carter. Guys, our goal here at Altitude Outdoors is to motivate you and provide information to help you be more successful on your next hunt. We do that through content on our website, on our social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram, through this podcast, and through our gear shop, where we've hand selected products that we trust on our hunts that we know you can depend on as tools during your next hunt. You guys can check out everything we have to offer at altitudeoutdoors.com. So, guys, in this episode, we sit down with Mike Johnson, who's a taxidermist here in Afton, Wyoming. Mike also hunted with me uh, on the Idaho invasion last year, and we put some YouTube videos out about that as well. Mike specializes in mule deer mounts, uh, but he does Most big game shoulder mounts and full body mounts uh, for big game in the West, um, as well as some exotic stuff too. So you can follow him. You can find him on Facebook or on Instagram. Uh, This is going to be a two-part series where we sit down with Mike in part one. We talk about his hunting season. In part two, we sit down again with Mike and we talk about taxidermy tips you want to tune in and listen to this. Mike provides some really good insight, some really good information on how to preserve your trophies in the field. So thanks again, guys, for tuning in. Uh, Be sure to check us out, www.altitudeoutdoors.com, and we'll jump into this one uh, with uh, my co-host, Billy Kennington, and Mike Johnson. Okay, guys, welcome to the Hunt the High Country podcast. Today we're here in Mealing Mike's studio here in Afton, Wyoming. Thanks for having us today in your shop yeah thanks for having me and uh, why don't you just kind of go over an introduction of of you I've known you since I lived in Cache Valley a few years ago and Mike was there so just talk about a little bit about yourself your hunting
1: background what brought you to Star Valley and all that well I've been hunting ever since I could carry a gun and uh, my uncle got me into it at a young age and first time I hunted mule deer became like a passion just love deer hunting and over the years I started hunting more and more and started uh, going out on my own and picked up a muzzleloader and started doing that but uh, I finally killed my first big buck in Cache Valley up Logan Canyon and he was uh, 28 inches wide and I think that really was the start of the mule deer for me. I'd actually had that deer mounted it was a really, really bad mount and that's what got me interested in taxidermy. So I was back then I was a contractor doing construction, got my deer back and wasn't happy with it and uh, enrolled in a taxidermy school in 2006 for the spring. So anyway, went to the school, came back, opened up a commercial shop. That was kind of the start of taxidermy for me. Now coming to Star Valley, I wanted opportunity for myself and my family with taxidermy, and hunting. Uh, the hunting in, in Utah's good, but it's not obviously as good as Wyoming. So, uh, coming to Wyoming, um, my dream was to kill a big non-typical buck, Johnson's non-typical taxidermy. Just the opportunity every year to hunt big deer, general public land, that's what I live for, I love hunting deer. Hunting elk, you know, down in Utah, I only drew one elk tag in 10 years, and I still have not drawn a deer tag. I got nine points. I'm hoping this year we draw. But anyway, that's what brought me here to Star Valley was to be a good taxidermist, actually a great taxidermist and Mount Big Mule Deer. Yeah, last year was my best hunting season I've ever had. I've never seen mule deer like that, Uh, especially in Wyoming. I saw tons of nice bucks. I mean, it was just phenomenal, passed on I probably passed on 25 bucks over 24 inches, uh, but we'll get into that. (laughs) But Idaho, um, you know, me and Brad hunted over in Idaho with the Idaho Invasion, and we had an awesome hunt over there, saw tons of deer. When I shot that buck over there in Idaho, the first one, but I had seen probably 25 bucks like that over here in Wyoming. But for Idaho, I've hunted Idaho since I was 19. And uh, as a non-resident, yeah, that last year was awesome saw a lot of good bucks in Idaho compared to years past.
2: Why don't you guys talk about what the, the invasion is, kind of give a, a brief overview of that.
1: The Idaho
0: invasion is part of sort of the, uh, the Altitude Invasion events that we put on through Altitude Outdoors. I was actually sort of the brainchild of David Long, and he started it three years ago in Swan Valley, and he invited me to get involved. And so ever since then, we've been running through the alt- Altitude platform. And this year we expanded and we did two events. So essentially what they are, we hunt over-the-counter general hunts in Idaho that anybody can go by. But it's a do-it-yourself hunt. We just kind of coordinate everything where we get lodging. There's a catered meal every night. We try to do seminars most nights. It's just a great way to meet like-minded hunters like us. And over the past couple of years, I've been able to meet people that are lifelong friends, people I can call, share hunting camps with, you know. Oh, yeah. So the way we kind of set it up is in the two-man team format, and Mike was my teammate this year, and he actually for both invasions. So we did the, the first week hunting over in Idaho, here kind of close to home, and then the second week up in the Swan Valley area. Kind of a tougher area to find deer. No, it was fun. We had a good time. Yeah, we <laughs> did. hunted hard. You can watch those videos. Like Mike was talking about his that he killed. They're on our YouTube channel, too. Or you can just jump on YouTube, search Idaho Invasion. It's a three-part series that kind of goes through. Two for the first week, and then one for the second week. And we show some of the other bucks, like this buck right here actually is Keith Klein's buck from the, from the first invasion from this year. Just a really nice upper 170s, beautiful yeah. character, good heavy mass buck. And we, we, we show some footage of him on that video too. And It's fun. I mean, I, I have yeah. a good time, but I also organize it, so. Yeah. <laughs>
1: No, it's fun. You get to come back every night and there's like an excitement when you come back. Like, who shot a buck? Like, how big is it going to be? You know, it's just fun. (laughs) It's not it's not a competition, really. It's I mean, you could get serious about it if you wanted to, but we just have fun. You know, and then we come back and uh, we have a good dinner and we do seminars like I did a a caping seminar uh, at both invasions. Just to kind of give people some insight on that, because a lot of people don't know how to cape in the backcountry. As a taxidermist, that's a huge thing. When the brisket's missing, or an arm's missing, or it's split up to the neck, like on Troll Buck the other day. I got a big buck in this fall, and the guy never caped before, but he killed a, a stud buck, and he split it up to almost the throat patch. And he was really concerned about saving that cape because he wanted that cape on that deer. And well, you can he hardly troll. You can
0: hardly tell. I looked at that buck, you can hardly tell
1: the cut was there. But yeah. it takes you a couple of hours to fix it yeah it was 20 inches yeah. long at least or longer mm-hmm. so like you have to when you sew that up I mean you got to go like every 16th of an inch just to so the hair lays exactly perfect mm-hmm. I mean it on those ones you have to make sure it's perfect mm-hmm.
0: those are good seminars I learned a lot I mean I gave my bucks differently after talking with Mike you know we had seminars for muley Matt phone yeah. and Scott did one on Wilderness survival, which we missed because we were packing your buck out, and a few others, you know, Fonzie on long range shooting at the Swan Valley invasion. So it, it's just kind of a friendly competition, but we put the Ricky Bobby trophy together for the biggest buck. And then the last two years we've had team trophies for if teammates killed deer, which that's never actually even happened until this year. We had two in the, the first, we had oh, two yeah. on Star Valley, and then one in Swan Valley. Yeah. It was Yeah, you know, it was a great year. Lots of deer. Yeah. I mean, I think there was 10 deer killed on the first week. And- yeah, Star
1: Valley was a riot. Mm-hmm. Um, Swan Valley's a little tougher. I mean, it's just really rugged country. You, It's hard to get to where the deer are in the amount of time that we have. Because you're day hunting every day. Yeah, you're day hunting, and it's a lot of backpack-style hunting, very high basins and stuff like that. But... You know, me and Brad, we found the honey hole. We know where to go. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back next year. No, it's fun. You know, we plan on putting it on for years and
0: years, so at least some form of it. But yeah, I know it's a fun hunt. And I mean, we made some good friends and even learned some new hunting spots in different areas of the state, and different areas of the country because of it. It's a fun environment. I mean, you can get a little burned out hiking every day. Oh yeah. 12 days straight. But yeah, I mean, you hunted, Wyoming, you had the invasion. you in
1: Alaska? Yeah, killed a stud Sitka buck up there. And thanks to uh, Jim up there in uh, Alaska, that guy's awesome. He gave me a bunch of information on logging roads and things like that to try. Um, it was kind of interesting. Um, I didn't have a deer tag yet. My wife wanted to go check some crab pods. So. She went with uh, these two ladies we had met up there and to check crab pods, so I went up to this little gas station. <laughs> it's, it's not even a gas station. It's kind of like this shack, and they sell tags, and they have all kinds of stuff in there. <laughs> anyway, I got my tag. I couldn't get my gun. Well, I'm going to backtrack. I couldn't get my gun on the airplane because I didn't have three locks or something. Like They wanted it locked on the hinges, mm-hmm. and I only had one in the center, and they're like, no way. So I had to take the truck, or the gun back to the truck, almost missed the plane, got to Alaska, I saw Jim in the airport, and I'm like, hey, I don't even have a gun, I wanna hunt, you know, Sid, cause that's why I'm here. He was like, well, I have a out 6 you could borrow. And I was like, sweet, and he was over in uh, Thorn Bay. Mm-hmm. But we were further north up in Will Pass. That day, I talked to Brad, Brad's like, well, my dad has a 30 out 6 up there. It's in the locker, mm-hmm. his old locker up there, so. I open this locker, and here's this .30-06, and it's got rust on it, and it's got four <laughs> rusty bullets. Four, yeah, four Dude, everything bullets. Rust, everything rusts yeah. up there so bad. And he even had like some things in there to keep it, but it, the case was kind of cracked a little, and I think just moisture. I mean, it's just humid up there. Oh, wow. Right off the ocean. That thing was probably yeah, 20 feet, 20 from, feet the from the ocean in wow. a little shack. Right. I, I get this gun, and the day, I, the day before I went decided in, up this road this one of these logging roads and I only had four shells so I took two shots hitting paper at like 80 yards. I'm like this thing's good you know. The next day they went to check the crab pods I went up and got me a deer tag. I go back to the same road I had actually sighted the gun in on but I didn't know where to to really go and so I had my iPhone with me with this email from Jim so happened to be one of the roads he had had on there was the road I was sitting on it was actually the last road a lot of this credit is to Jim but you know it was just it was luck too so here I am bouncing up this little logging road I remember looking for a snack in the truck like I wasn't even paying attention I mean I just barely turned up this road this looks good I mean I don't know Alaska I don't know what I'm doing and I'm looking for a treat or something on the seat and I look up and 300 yards up in the timber, off to the edge of the timber is this big Sitka. He just looks at me. He's got like grass hanging out of his mouth, you know? And I'm like, the gun's in the case. I mean, I'm not prepared. The gun's in the case. There's not a bullet. So I swing the door open, grab the gun, put this rusty bullet in and uh, smoked him at 300 yards. But in Alaska, it is so thick and vegetated. uh, It's, I've never hunted country like that. Actually, he was farther than what I thought I shot him at. So I was looking for him for a little bit, and I went back to where I was, where I shot, and I looked up to the farthest point, and I'm like, he's got to be right there. So then I went up to the farthest point, cut into the trees, and there he was, piled up. And man, my adrenaline kicked in. It was, it was, it was crazy. Finally, to lay my hands on a SIDCA, I've wanted to do that my whole life. Yeah, they're cool deer. Perfect four-point eye guards. You know, that's a big deer up in Alaska. <laughs> Usually they're like twos and threes yeah. and, you know, like that. When I went into the trees and I found the Sitka, I got a little emotional. I went through some crazy stuff this year with Lexi. And uh, I remember when I walked into the to that forest and I found that buck laying there, I had a spiritual moment. I felt her with me. And that may sound crazy, but... Man, I I was crying. I was in the mountains, all alone, by myself, and uh, I could feel her presence. And that was the start of the best season I've ever had. She was with me all the way, the whole time. She was always there. And so a lot of that success, I think, is due to her being with me in the mountains. That was the closest I could get to her. My wife, you know, she's like, Mike, that's your escape. That's where you need to go. the grieving process of all this and uh there was good moments and bad moments but Mm -hmm. there was a lot of good moments too but yeah i felt lexi in there with that sidka and that was the start of it the fishing out there was awesome Mm -hmm. it was just amazing alaska is amazing oh yeah prince of Wales. yeah if you ever want to try that give that a
0: shot that's awesome out there pretty uh unique area well you say unique i mean there's a lot of area that's like that just big spruce forest yeah temperate rainforest type stuff but yeah Prince of Wales Island's a pretty neat place it's enough off the beaten path that it takes a little bit of work to get there and you can tell yeah. when you're there oh, yeah
1: because <laughs> there's not a lot of people around it's almost just stepping back in time almost you know it is yeah you got you fly up to you know for wherever you fly like out of Salt Lake to Seattle from Seattle to Ketchikan, then you can either take a float plane from there which we missed. <laughs> right. Or you could take the ferry and then from once you hit Prince of Wales you gotta drive another hour and a half, isn't it? Or two hours up there? To the Yeah, it's about a lot
0: shorter than it used to be now that they paved
1: the road. Yeah. yeah. It used to be three and a half or four hours. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful country up there. It's it's definitely worth seeing. I wanna hunt bears up there one day. Yeah. So yeah. seen a lot of big black bears. I mean, every day fishing, they were in the water with us, uh, I remember Jenny was hooked up on this nice salmon and she was just fighting that thing and it kept going up the current. I was actually filming the fish in the water because they were coming up in schools with my little GoPro. I'm seeing her reeling in this fish, she doesn't even know it, but there's a bear 20 yards from her in the water. She's standing in the water reeling the thing in and there's a bear right behind her 20 yards and I'm like, maybe I should get down there in case I need to help her out. you know. <laughs> And uh, she never even noticed the bear. The bear kept moseying on, went across the, the river, and then back into the, the timber. And they mm-hmm. do that all day. We, we probably saw 20-plus yeah, bears yeah. on that trip every day. I think there was only one day we didn't see a bear.
0: There's yeah. a lot of bears on the island. They have restricted it. It used to be over-the-counter, but you have to draw it now. It's not yeah. a hard draw, but I guess they don't really know how many they have. Yeah. Because it's just so wooded. They, like, aerial surveys don't work. Like, really, no surveys work, you know yeah but no, there's a lot and in, in the popular fishing holes, they're used to you. you know yeah, they'll come check you out and grab a fish and walk back into
1: yeah. the, back into the trees. But we did see some big ones. We probably saw out of all the bears three that really stood out. One was down in this big there was kind of an inlet, mm-hmm. and it was actually pretty close to where we were staying, and he was just a beast, and he was he was way out there, and we so we went fishing and when we came back he was really close and I got a good look at him. And It was too dark to get a good photo, but that bear was giant. He was huge.
0: So we stayed at the same lodge, Eagle Lodge mm-hmm. um, at Prince of Wales Island. Ken Brough's the owner. And so I took my six-year-old and with my dad and then my grandpa. So we had four generations up there this summer fishing. And we were out in the skiff one day running around chasing pods of fish. It was kind of... Kind of a weird weird year this year, but we had to work pretty hard for the fish that we caught. But we turned around and looked back and they built that deck over the, you know, down where the boat boats sit and there was a bear under the, under the deck. Really? Berries, yeah. Whoa! Yeah, so we just, we're just cruising along fishing and he kind of just moved up, you know, through over by the neighbor's house and on up the way. Wow. But, they're used to you well I'm wearing breakfast one morning look out the window and there's one too I mean they're all over yeah so.
1: they are they're just everywhere up there it's a pretty neat place if you if you like to watch bears if you're a bear watcher man that's definitely the place to go because <laughs> you will see oh, yeah. bears all oh, yeah. I mean you can just drive around the island and see them yeah
2: sounds like a good time
1: and it's a big island you don't feel like you're on some little island it's I think 100 miles long or something and it's really wide there's mountains all around it the bays kind of come through them but it, they look like lakes, and there are yeah. lakes too. Yeah. But you feel like you're just like, well, you're in God's country up there. It's beautiful. It's yeah. one of the top five biggest
0: islands in the U. S. So yeah, it's, it's huge. Shoreline wise, it's like either first or second, just because it has so many bays and inlets and stuff. Yeah. And you're just across the Inside Passage from Canada.
2: After you guys talk about it, you kind of talked me into it <laughs> one <only. laughs> Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> no, that was the start of a good year. I mean, you killed that buck. Yeah. Then you hunted Wyoming, and we'll talk about that in yeah. a minute. And then two bucks in Idaho on the invasion.
1: Yeah. Then what else? Whitetails. White yeah, tail. whitetails. In
2: Montana, right? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then
1: killed a. I killed my biggest bull. Uh, oh, in between that'd... the invasions.
0: So Billy and I have done a couple podcasts with some mule deer gurus, and we sort of alluded to this buck that's been really popular, sort of a local legend. You know, like a two hundred and sixty type buck in his prime. Yeah. That uh, he got nicknamed Drama because of the a lot drama of, surrounding him. <laughs> a you
2: know, lot of drama.
0: <laughs> we have been having people travel from a long ways away, and paying a lot of money to hunt him. He was able to, like a lot of legendary bucks, he was able to elude all the hunters, almost, yeah. until this year. And so, let's talk a little bit, bit about your hunt with drama. I mean, just maybe go through your season, and then we can talk about sort of things, some of the
1: behaviors I think we can learn from Yeah. Him. Yeah, so... We uh, pulled the trailer up, Jen was with us and the kids, and Jenny was like, I just wanna shoot a buck for the kids so we'll have a deer in camp. She's probably one of the best trophy hunters I know because she won't pull the trigger on anything (laughs) unless it's huge. She's just, she wants that big buck, and she's good at passing on lots of you know, 25 inch bucks. But during the archery hunt, I went up scouting, and I saw this three by four with eye guards, and she says, I only have one day to hunt. I just, I'm not feeling it due to the circumstances of Alexi Lexi and stuff like that. But we really wanted a deer in camp for the kids. I think that's a, a big part of hunting and the heritage of it. We hiked up in where I'd been scouting and hunting. We sat down, we glassed for a couple of hours and nothing. She's like, I'm not gonna shoot a buck. There's no deer up here. <laughs> and I'm like, there's, trust me, there's deer everywhere up here, you know. We hiked around the basin got over to the other side of it and started glassing. And right off the bat, a two point came running down the hill with that three by four. The three by four was already kind of in the bottom, but the two point, I, he caught my eye because he was moving. Uh, so I started glassing around him and I found the buck. Mm-hmm. And there was this big gnarly tree. It was just like, just gnarly, not a leaf on it, just probably an old burn or something. Mm-hmm. She rested her rifle up on it. She shot, it was 400, I ranged it. She missed the buck, and then I just said, "Just put it on him," because he was slightly downhill. She drilled him, and then he kind of walked off a little bit. She drilled him again. And he bedded down. So anyway, went over there and retrieved the buck, and and I'll never forget it. Uh, she wanted to backpack the deer out, and so as we came off the trail, the kids were like, "Mom's got a deer!" I mean, they were freaking out, dude, because awesome. she had this 22-inch 4-point three by four. Right. 3x4. It, it was fun, it was a lot of fun. But that was the beginning of it. Um, we just had a great time cooking good food, uh, reminiscing, uh, I was hunting the back country back in there, looking for big deer, um, hooked up with Clay Allen. Uh, Clay was uh, camping pretty close to where I was camping. He was hunting drama. I wasn't hunting drama buck, I was actually hunting a totally different mountain range. I uh, had no interest in hunting drama, I was more interested in finding good deer areas that held quality bucks for my family. So, yeah, I wasn't hunting drama at all. So I hunted for a couple more days. You know, I was talking with Clay, and um, I knew Jen was going to leave Sunday because they had, the kids had school Monday, and she had to go back to work. But anyway, I think it was Saturday or Sunday, a buddy of mine came up. I took him up where I was hunting to get him a meat buck. He's a meat hunter. We, we didn't get into any deer. We saw lots of deer. We just didn't connect that day. But he's like, I have Tuesday morning off. Let's meet up at a different location. So the year before, on opening day, there was a huge, crazy rainstorm and wind. And if you were here hunting opener, you knew that day. I, I was on. I was huddled under a tree with Jenny for a couple hours, and we had a fire. And I, I think ate. we were all like that. Yeah, it, was it was like
2: sixty. I'm not kidding. Like yeah. sixty mile an hour winds. Like you could see it push those clouds up in the high country, and oh, yeah. it was it was a little bit scary because yeah. I I, th- I literally there's trees crash around me because the wind was blowing so yep. hard. I
0: remember yeah. that, and then there was
1: zero visibility for hours. You know, yeah, it was well for days. It was really like
2: three time. days.
1: Yeah, it was. it was crazy. Anyway. <laughs> so in that storm, Brandon saw two 30-inch bucks in the exact location that I shot drama in. From the same point. And he was like, I think one of them could possibly have been drama. Anyway, he made a shot at one of the bucks. They got away. Well, he ended up killing one that evening. So he never hunted that area again to see if that legitimately was drama Mm -hmm. uh but he kept telling me I know where drama is I know where drama is and I'm like yeah right you know because everybody knows where drama is and I'm like there's no way he's right there you know what I mean and uh so we got off to kind of a late start I met him um we hiked in I was sitting there and I was actually quite disinterested uh you know, we saw a little two-point. It just, it wasn't doing it for me as far as deer country goes. I mean, oh, yeah. seriously, I, where I was going, there was deer everywhere, and, and uh, I love hunting high country. And then a little while later, six or seven does came up the bottom with a buck that was 24-ish, maybe. They went up into the quakes. Um, there was this little finger of quakes, and when they went into those quakeys, Drama stepped out of the quakes above them, quite a bit of ways further up, like uh, maybe 150 yards from where they were. And I actually didn't spot Drama. Um, Brandon did. So uh, I'm sitting there waiting for this this 24-inch buck to come back out to just get a better look at him, and Brandon goes, Mike, 30-inch buck. And I was like, where? And as soon as I said where, I looked straight across, was Drama standing there. So he was he was angling away, facing away, going up a deer trail. There was a doe above him. And all he would do is look at that doe and slightly swing his head down, waiting for these deer to come out of the quakes. I think the sound of those deer going through the quakes pushed him out. Because we had glassed that area for over an hour right. or longer. But when I seen the cheaters going on, I freaked out. And, dude, I'm... Yeah, talk about buck it. fever, man. <laughs> when I saw that huge fork cheater with the, I you could literally see his, what he had going on with the naked eye. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just looked like a beast. I mean, just cheaters everywhere. And I was, like, shaking. Um, I was like, Brandon, get on this buck, shoot him. And he had an old 30 30odd 6 and he didn't feel comfortable with the shot. Drama was at 548 yards from us, and uh, I told him to use my three hundred Ultra. He said he didn't want to do that because he didn't know my gun. It had the lines in it. I don't have a turret. He passed him. He let me shoot. So it literally took me 10 minutes. And if you know me, it took me 10 minutes to calm down to shoot drama. I laid my X1 pack down, got in the prone position. I ranged him multiple times. He never moved. He stayed in the exact same spot. Uh, I remember just going, don't screw this up. Don't screw it up. You know, I really want to put this deer down. Mm -hmm. I asked Brandon, I'm like, can I borrow your pack? Because I I just wasn't steady in the prone position on my X1. So he gave me his pack. And I remember practicing a little bit, like shooting at drama. And I remember feeling very solid once I had his pack. And I remember, I'm like, okay, this is it. I'm going to shoot him. And I grabbed my range finder. 5.48 5.48 again, set it down on the ground. And I remember looking back and just taking a deep breath. And Brandon was to the right of me, right? Just like you are. And he goes, don't screw this up. That's the <laughs> And I, I put it on. And I remember using my... So I have lines on it. And I remember using my 500 line. He was 5.48, but I put it at the top of his back where his cheaters were because he was angling up the hill. I knew I had all that drop. And it. I squoze the trigger He just jumped and he ran around this little tree and he bedded down. And we're doing the high fives and getting crazy and all that stuff like we did on my buck. We go around this little area over to where drama is. We get there and there's one tree. So he was in this huge opening and there was one tree he was standing by. So I knew exactly where he was. So I get over there and there's blood everywhere. It's probably one of the most biggest blood trails I've ever had on a deer. We followed the blood, and it went into these really, 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 really thick, nasty quakes. I mean, it was so thick, I think he crawled in there. I think all the deer crawled in there, because he met up with that other buck, those does, and crawled into these quakes. Well, we jumped them, and they ran straight downhill towards these farms. Right then, just got sick. And I, I was like, Brandon, we got to retreat, we got to back out, let's not push him. Let's, let's come back in here tonight and let's see, you know, if we can find him. Because I, I knew he was fatally wounded, but I, I didn't have onyx maps. I didn't have, like, a, right. any way of determining exactly where the National Forest line was. I knew when I shot him I was on National Forest because he was up high on the hill. Uh, but adjacent to the farms and actual private land, I had no idea at 10:22, I had texted my wife and just asked her say a prayer for me because I had just shot this big cheater buck. I was trying to find this deer. I, I knew he was well over 200 inches, um, and he was he had cheaters everywhere. Looked for a little while longer. Brandon had to go, so I came down to the altitude shop. Well, after you know talking to Brad about it, I really wanted to tell Brad where I was, but I gave my word to uh, to Brandon, and anyway. So I get back to camp. My trailer is pulled over by Clay's trailer. I go, I just shot a big cheater buck today. Showed him the pictures of blood. Told him my story. Said it. he had a huge forked cheater on his left side. He goes, you shot drama. As soon as I said that, I I remember him going, you shot drama. And I go, do you have pictures? And so he got his laptop out. Uh, we're in the camp trailer. He pulls it out, just starts showing me tons of pictures of drama. I'm like, I shot that buck. You know, we shot this deer, and I had to look for him. So the next day me and Clay went in there. Clay wasn't hunting. he was there to help me look for him. So anyway we looked for him the one day and Clay's like you're gonna find this deer I think I went in there one more time with Brandon and looked and we were just waiting for the birds we were waiting for something to happen to find this deer. The thing was is I was looking really high by trying to obey the law I didn't want to break the law trespassing and lose the deer altogether. You know, you just don't know what the circumstances are going to be. Uh, I got a lead that drama was found. I immediately called the game warden. The the local game warden hadn't been there yet. He just knew he had to go there, check out the scene, and game tag. I gave him all my information. He called me back about, it was roughly about an hour later, and he goes, it's exactly where you were. You know, I've got pictures of where the blood is, GPSed and all that kind of stuff. But it, the truth of the matter is, is the man, the guy that was hunting found the deer. That's the way that one went. And it's been, it's been really tough for me, you know, and I don't own him. But that's how it goes.
2: It's a heck of a story, Mike. You know, hindsight being 2020. Yeah. You know, we really can't go back, but there's lessons that I think each of us can learn from, from Mike's story. If there's anything that you could do differently with recovering that buck, what would have you tried differently
1: Oh man honestly I wish I would have had onyx maps probably to know the boundaries where where the private and public land were I knew he would where I shot him was on national force because of where the sign was and where we went up right. and where he was I knew he was he was on the public land but I didn't know where the border was. So that for sure onyx maps to know the boundary. I wish I would have went down to those homes below and contacted them, asked permission to go look around for them. Honestly, the reason why I didn't do that is I I didn't want to bring attention that there's this huge non-typical on the face. Right. I just that was my fear. But I wasn't gonna to trespass to find the deer or else I would've done that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's just not who I am. So the, the man that found him, um, from what I've heard, he was, he was riding his horse with his grandson and they rode right up on him uh, in some brush. And he was found on public land. Um, he wasn't even on private. So it makes me even more sick that I didn't search harder or lower. So how far did he go from where they found him, you know? I don't. Okay. I know he went straight downhill, but uh, I don't know the exact location. I know he was above the man's house that found him. I would have never imagined seeing drama in that location, yeah. period. Like, right. not in a million years.
0: Or any buck of yeah. size. Well, I think that resonates with a lot of guys who've been hunting for a while. You know, yeah. A lot of guys have lost an animal due to misplaced shot, or, I mean, there's lots of circumstances, you know, sometimes they'll jump onto private, and then you can't get access, I mean, there's stuff that happens, and I think the longer you hunt, the more likely it is that it's going to happen, you know, I mean, I think there's a few, a few good things that come from it, unfortunately, you don't have the buck in your hands anymore, Um, fortunately, somebody does, I guess, you know, and it does bring some closure to the story, Yeah. and the other thing that's, you know, the proper Law enforcement was involved and mm-hmm. a game tag was issued yeah. and it's legally held by somebody that I think respects the animal. Probably yeah. saw him alive. That's a tough thing, you know. I mean, some people will point blame, other people have been there. You yeah. know, it's just, it's well, a tough thing.
2: So some things with that that I found with recovering bucks, um, you have to be very careful when you approach them. Because I've seen big bucks that have been shot and tipped over and you walk up on them and they jump up. They don't let you get 50 yards away. You're about two feet from you and it scares the crap out of you. You know, just as they can hold their position, you know, when they're not shot, they do that. So anyone out there, um, if you're walking up on a buck, be super, super careful until you confirm that they're dead because they will run off. And, you know, sometimes once they get going and they get that adrenaline, they go further than you think. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of high shoulder shots. I really am. If you take their scapulas out, they don't go far. Sometimes if you hit them a little bit back, you know, and double lung them, they do do go. Um, And so I found I give them way more time than I think I should. Personally, I learned that pretty quick is we don't you don't give them enough time and you jump them they get that adrenaline going and then they you know they can go a lot further than you think and then it just becomes a chess game and and you're either lucky or you're not. With the high shoulder shot you've got to be super careful you've got to get a bullet that penetrates you know because it is bone but you know there's certain bullets that do it better than others. I was a little bit leery because you know I was always taught to shoot them in the crease you know like we all are and double lung them but after I've done some research and looked at the anatomy and different things you know when I started I moved to that high shoulder shot. I've been very happy with it.
1: Yeah, I have lost some serious sleep thinking about drama, replaying this scenario over and over and over and over. I mean, Brad has heard stories for months. I feel bad for this guy.
2: To me, just hearing your story, it sounds like either a double lung but a a single lung for sure. Yeah. But it's just probably what happened just hearing your story is, you know, you guys um, went over there and you probably bumped him. We did. And when you bumped him, you got adrenaline, and he went further than you thought he exactly. did. So again, that just that fault. just that. We pushed him. You know, live and learn. <laughs> and I think I mean it's just part of gaining experience and stuff. But giving them more time than you think. Brad, have you got any other suggestions or tips that you've learned over the years that's helped recover game? I
0: mean, no matter where you aim for, you're you're gonna sometimes you know when you're approaching an animal I think you gotta keep line of sight like especially if you're hunting with somebody else I was hunting out with a buddy one time he'd wounded a bull and we'd lost it and we searched for a few days for it and couldn't find it and so he elected to keep hunting we found another bull and he shot it and I I said we're just, you've made this shot once like you can do it again stay here and I'm gonna go down there you know and make sure he doesn't get up if he gets up shoot him again it's tough sometimes but if you're with a partner like leave somebody where you shot from, mm-hmm. right? Probably the shooter yeah. in the first place. Let the other guy sneak over there, because you never know. I mean, yeah. if he, if they're wounded and hit hard and embedded, if they get up and move, whether it's when the other guy approaches or not, a lot of times you'll both have tags too. And if if it comes down to it, and the other guy walks up and jumps him up, I mean, the important thing is get the animal on the ground. You yeah. know. So, and if, even if it's a longer hike, if you can kind of keep that area in sight. So if he does move, you can see him. And even if you can't get a shot in him, you, can, you know where he's going. And you can communicate that and then regroup. But, yeah, it's tough, man. I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's so many things that can go wrong. It's rugged country. You can't always do that. It happens sometimes.
2: You know, and even with that, we say, you know, wait, wait, wait. But we were on an elk hunt uh, a few years ago, and I uh, high shoulder shot a bull, just dumped him. I mean, down he went. He slid down the mountain. Um, I was watching him, again, what Brad was saying, line of sight, as I was going up to him, because I knocked him down, I knew he was down, and I could see him. He slid out of my view, and I was a little bit worried, because, I don't know, elk are tough, and <laughs> they get up and run they away sometimes. So, really line of sight, and I was walking down to him, and I just, I didn't wait. I didn't wait, and I was walking down to him, and I saw him jump up, and I shot him again, you know, I and mean, he was fatally wounded, but he got up again. And right. if I hadn't been and had the angle that I did, you know who knows what could happen. Yeah. So sometimes you want to wait, sometimes you don't. I think you just go with your gut. I mean,
0: and it depends a lot. Like usually with a rifle, I'm going in, but I want to keep I want to keep line of sight. You know? yeah.
2: Another tool that I've done um, that really helps. We have those phone scopes. I absolutely love recording my shot no matter what happens i've got evidence and i know exactly where that bullet is and on the iphone you know you just flip it to slow-mo and you can see exactly where it is so i especially long range i will not take a long shot without having that on my tripod and having that video recorded just because it takes that much more guesswork out of it you know, and then you can make decisions on where that bullet was. If it's too far back, you know, I better give him, I better give him a longer time. Right. You know, if you, if you knocked him down and everything, we know. I mean, just like your buck this year, I mean, we knew right where that bullet went. You know, sit down. Those phone scopes take two seconds, and a lot of times we're far enough away that, you know, just take that extra two seconds, stick that on, and then you've got it recorded. Then you have the data to make those decisions on.
1: Last year is the first year. I had actually done more filming, um, mm-hmm. and it was after drama that I did more of that, and I really wish I would have had the film foam scoped to actually see where that shot was. Um, man, and that would have took a, a lot of uh, mystery out of all of it. you know yeah.
2: I think another thing we need to, to, uh, to say on here is, you know we, we're not advocating <laughs> shooting long range just to shoot long range. I mean, these are shots that you need to know what your effective comfort zone is. You need to know what that bullet's gonna be doing. And you can't just plug it in your ballistics calculator and say, oh, I think I know what I'm doing. If you've never shot 600 yards, you better not be shooting at an animal. There's a lot of people out there that'll say, you know, I'm a a half minute guy or that. I know me and my rifle just, you know, any day of the week I could take it out there and I can shoot one minute of angle. No matter what day it is, some days, you know, I've shot better groups or whatever, but I've practiced at 1,000, but I'll tell you what, I'll never, I'm just not comfortable enough right. reading the wind to ever take a 1,000-yard shot. Some people are, but they've spent more time out there reading the wind than I have. So I know my limits, and if that deer is within that limit and I get a comfortable rest, and, you know, everything feels good, I can read the mirage and different things and make a good wind call, you know, then I'll consider it. But if you're just winging, winging lead, yeah, I mean, nice. these animals are too precious. If you have never, if you can't make that shot, I tell myself if I can't be 98% sure, I'm not taking that shot. You either get closer or you change some variable to make a higher percentage. Just because we can't be lobbing lead and I think that, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that, I mean, the equipment is so much better than it should be. And if they're, they're just saying, "Oh, well, I've got a thousand yard gun, but I've never shot it. I mean, really, to make a thousand yard shot, you better be shooting almost every day. So, and the guys that are really, really good that can do it, they are shooting, I mean, thousands of rounds every day. But if you're not at that level... Please don't be shooting.
0: It's all about knowing your limits and being ethical about it, right? I mean, there's unethical shots that are 60 yards away because the deer's running through the trees exactly. or whatever, right? Yeah. Or you have the wrong weapon or whatever it is. Yep. You know, I mean, I think you just need to know your limits and you learn them through practice and experience, but don't go practice on a living animal. Yeah.
2: One thing that, uh, you know, I'm guilty of this as well, but how much money do we spend on equipment? Like, we're always looking at a different gun or a different things. I think we need to kind of change that, that mentality. I've heard and, and listened that re, to something that really resonated with me. It said, you know, a lot of times all these we spend a lot of money on this equipment, but we're not spending money on ourselves. Um, to take the training and different things. I mean, there's training courses, they're doing long-range shooting courses, you know, to really understand the science. But, you know, I've never had any formal training, and that's something that I'm going to be looking at rather than looking at getting a different rifle or something, spending the money on training to really know how to use it.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: Um, let's talk a little bit about behavior. You know, Drama was kind of one of those famous bucks around here. It was just amazing with as many hunters out there that he survived for as long as he did. And we've learned some things too, so let's talk about some of the behaviors and some things that we can learn from what Drama was doing.
0: So he summered in the backcountry, you know, it was... High country, just yeah. nasty stuff. And it was, you know, miles in. And he was pretty easy to find in the summer, I mean, relatively, as a lot of big bucks are. And summer habits, they don't have pressure. You know, some of this is hearsay, because I wasn't here. And I haven't hunted drama myself, but you talk to people. And my understanding is somebody somebody missed drama with their bow. One of the first years he was kind of well-known. Yeah. And. So it'd have been the first day of September, early September. Shot an arrow right over his back. And then he kind of disappeared. I heard from a couple other people that may have seen him during rifle season that year. Every subsequent year, he's he disappears sometime like third week of August, and nobody can find. Him. You know, and there's a lot of really experienced people that were chasing him for several years, and I mean even until this year still hunting him. You know, and I know personally know of at least four people who have, and I'm sure it's ten times that many that have summer footage of him from this year even. Oh yeah. It's not like I mean people were watching him but he'd disappear. You know, he he had learned somewhere along the lines that, that he could escape people and so, you know, you talk to different people and they say, Well I think he's here and you'd hear rumors, well somebody saw a big non typical in the next drainage over during the or yeah. whatever, you know. Yeah. Or somebody says, Well yeah, I you know, I missed a big deer shot between his antlers and you know. Anyway you hear all these stories. But I think something that we can learn this year is where he really ended up. Right, and he was about six miles as the crow flies from where he's summering. And this was September 20th, which he was probably seen about a month earlier. In he was. Summering.
1: You know, Clay, Clay knew drama probably better than anybody. Mm-hmm. He has so much footage of him. You know, Clay loved that deer. You know, the stories with Clay. Clay says, you know, drama would take a nap, he would take a nap. Where Clay was seeing him in mid-August, was really back country, high country, nasty stuff. September twentieth, when I seen him and shot him, there was cattle in the same yeah. view. And I mean, that's crazy.
2: I mean, basically, he'd learn that the pressure comes to the high country, and he would go low. He'd migrate early. The spot that how many people hunting him overlooked.
0: I think you learn from, from everything. And sometimes the deer will stay in the basin if you bump them, but sometimes they—I think—Drama uh, was a good example of a deer that learned to escape the pressure yeah. way further than anybody thought he did. Yeah, oh, we've
2: had—we've had another one just like that that you know getting some more information big old big old buck that I found last year and same thing I mean he had either been wounded you know, about that same time he moves yeah. so they they learn to adapt and I think sometimes as especially high country hunters you know the deer adapt we need to be adapting too it's kind of hard to say exactly how we need to be looking at these that you know overlook spots and different things too well, especially when you're hunting specific deer
1: this is a prime example of what a deer could actually do. He knew pressure, and when he felt it, he moved. Think of how many big deer you have scouted out there right. that move
0: that you can't find again.
1: Yes, it's amazing. Like the country that drama was in to where he was when I found him, is two totally different habitats almost. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. What it just it blows my mind. Actually, I think about it a lot. Of him traveling from like August 20th until September 20th, that distance. But man, he could have been taking his time, hanging out under pine trees, you know, just, just feeding along, bedding mm-hmm. down. And in in that stretch, people would have no idea where he was, you know. Yeah. Because it's so rugged.
0: Mule deer, are an interesting critter, and uh, there's a lot to learn about them. Yeah, we're still learning.
1: I was telling this to Brad the other day. I'm like, we shot deer. Oh, we shot. In our life, we shot multiple deer. I think I've got 10 or 11 four points or something like that. But we're so intrigued with still learning. It's like we know that they they bed up in the timber and then they come out and feed and they need water and they need all these things. But we're so intrigued with how elusive they are and how they get big and how they elude not only predators but hunting pressure. And and they
2: survive the winter.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's pretty neat. Thanks for sharing that with us, Mike. My pleasure. I I think there's a lot we can learn from the story. Buck of the lifetime. Yeah. At least you got to hold him the other day. That was a a neat day for me, for sure. Finally held him, and it it was good. No, I mean, I think there's a lot to learn about. I think a lot of guys can relate with the story, you know, in dream buck or losing an animal or whatever it is. Anyway, hopefully some of this content was educational and entertaining and that we all learned something from it. Anyway, I'd like to thank Mike for being with us. This was part one of our talk with Mike, and so be sure to check back next time, and we're going to get some taxidermy tips, some field care tips, some other stuff in relation to kind of preserving your trophies when you do get them. So check back for that one. That's a, that'll be part two yeah. of the Hunt the High Country podcast. You're listening to the Hunt the High Country podcast. Brought to you by AltitudeOutdoors.com